You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Selling a little? Or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. This is a podcast from comedianscomedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. This is Stuart Goldsmith and today I'm talking to an American act. I promised you a curveball. Uh, this is an American who has made, this is the second I think of a, a couple of forays to Britain that she's made um, with no particular agenda in mind, just kind of testing the water and checking it out and uh, she's a comic of some 13 years experience and there is a lot of very interesting and sometimes painful stuff coming up on the difference between uh, the US and UK comedy circuits. Uh, Liz is enjoying a lot of uh, virality at the moment, is that a word? Viral success uh, with her feminist sex positions video, which I know some of you might have seen on, uh, on Facebook or on YouTube. Um, and we're going to talk in some detail about the campaign she waged to get that uh, virality, if that is a word, working. This is uh, some uh, really interesting stuff here. She's a, a very uh, smart lady, and um, we're going to talk about uh, her work and uh, her career plans and her ambition. And uh, But don't worry, I find time to slightly stick the boot in and, and go, come on then, really, really, do you mean it? So in, it's all classic ComComPod stuff. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Liz Mealy. So you, uh, Matt, Kirshen and Tin and Duya uh, suggested you get in touch. So this yeah. isn't your first trip to the UK? Uh, yeah, it's my second trip. I was here for a week uh, last year and that's kind of how I lined a lot of stuff up uh, this year. I'm, I'm, I was pleased to see that because I thought, my God, how organised is this person? I looked yeah, at yeah, yeah. and I was like, oh, you've not only come to the UK, you're like doing Europe for a month. Oh, yeah. Going all around Amsterdam and where, where else are you travelling? Um, I've been in Amsterdam, I've been in all the Netherlands and Belgium, Luxembourg, and I'm going to Sweden and Denmark next week. You are clearly a power player of some sort to have put this all together. That's great. Yeah, I feel uh, I feel very lost, and I don't know how I did it slash why I did it. Okay, <laughs> that's that's where I am emotionally right now. I'm three weeks into like I have two more weeks, and I'm I'm tired. And you know when you know when somebody asks you a question about like what you're doing in the moment, and you're like, I'm not emotionally prepared for that. Like, <laughs> somebody's like, Are you gonna move here? And I'm like, No. And they're like, Okay, so you're gonna do Edinburgh? I was like, I don't know. They're like, so what are you doing? I was like, working? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, part of me just thought it was cool and wanted a different experience, and I'm able to make good money here while doing stand-up. I'm tired of doing Ohio. You know what yes. I mean? Like, t- 
to me to meet different it starts to I don't know if you experience this where um there's a certain club or a certain room in the beginning that you do a lot so you start to become comfortable and the benefit is that you can be more yourself and you can open up and you see but then the the con of it is that you start to be scared of other places yes. and you start to feel like this is the only place you can be yourself. Just like you, friends and family, you start to think that other people are the, the enemy. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I, not to say that I've done it, there's still States I've never been to, mm-hmm. but I, I kind of just wanted to see what I can do. You know what I mean? And I, who knows where my career is going to take me. I might as well, if I'm touring now and I'm never home now, I might as well never be home in the Netherlands, you know what I mean? Yes, yes, absolutely. So, your what, what's your kind of place in comedy? In uh, you're based in New York, are you? Yeah. And how long have you been going? Uh, it'll be 13 years next month. Okay. Yeah. And you're so. What does that make you in New York terms? Are you a headliner? I know uh, the system makes, over there is vastly oh, different. Oh, it is so different. That's what I'm learning. Uh, it makes me uh, an up and comer at this point. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. kind of crazy. Um, to me, I'm I'm I'm. Probably like 60% headliner, 40% feature. It kind of depends on where I what's, am. What's the difference between those two terms? Okay, so feature is like your middler. It's, okay. You know what I mean? It's also very different. So like everywhere here, I mean, I've headlined a couple of places here and I've, I've middled a couple of places here. But it's weird to me because a headliner does 45 to an hour. Mm-hmm. And then if I'm doing corporate gigs or colleges, it's an hour. And it's good money. And here, the club's... It feels like everybody does 20 minutes or the headliner might do 30 minutes. Um, and kind of, I'm not used to how long the shows are. Like ours is an hour and a half and that's it. Is that right? Is that right for all of them? Yeah. I saw, I've, only, I've only seen two comedy shows ever in the States. In really? San Francisco, I, was, I went to the Punchline and saw Maeve Higgins and Beth Stelling. Yeah. Um, and Ivan, someone, forgive me for forgetting his name. Um, and that was that seemed to follow. That was like a double headliner thing. Yeah. And Ivan was hosting, and so he just did ten minutes at the top, and that was it. Yeah. And yeah. he was saying that he had to. He couldn't do crowd work because he didn't have time. Well, you don't have time, and also if you do do crowd work, and then the headliner comes in from another show and does the same crowd work, you get sacked. Yeah. So, so he had an incredibly difficult job compared to our system of like yeah. an MC that has time to. Play with the room and mess around. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's benefits to your system. Like, I, I hate waitresses being loud and people loudly yes, ordering and people dropping checks. Like, that's the big thing as a headliner is you need to be able to continue to be good while people are doing math and, and getting checks. And Yes. And you can't complain about that because that's totally reasonable because that's Absolutely. the system. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And there's some clubs that are getting better about not dropping checks while the headliner's on, but that's not. And then even in showcase shows where it's like, five comics doing 10 minutes um there's usually they usually have a younger comic eat checks so they'll have somebody that's probably not experienced enough in comedy let alone to deal with the shittiest part of the show but because nobody wants to do it it's like let's give this newbie a break i love that expression eating checks eating checks. okay like taking bullets yeah Yeah, and that's the thing is like that's like a real like prissy like not prissy thing but it's a thing that like you get to a point where if somebody accidentally drops checks on you, you're allowed to be kind of a dick. Like, do you you know what I mean? Like, this is not my job mm-hmm. to eat. Now, if you're a headliner, that is part of your job for most of these clubs and you just get used to it. But when I'm at a club that doesn't drop checks, it's like being on vacation. Like, it's so nice. But that's the thing. It's like it. I easily get distracted by somebody ordering really loudly or people like you know, handing them their nachos or somebody, you know what I mean? Or like people just, do you want to get another drink? Like it's so distracting. So while the shows are a lot longer, um, 
for my bit that I'm on stage, it's all about me and what I do. And I've really liked that. But these like 20 minute intermissions every two seconds is like, to me, it's like, and then you, your subways don't run. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. 24 hours, I'm like, no wonder you guys are like just drunk and wobbling home. And like, it's, that's kind of culture shock to me, but it's just comedy based. This is weird to me like everybody that I've met that's at my level here right now has been doing it like four to six years they all have agents yeah you know what I mean they're they're working a shit ton like this is great like I'm I'm working a lot and I'm, I'm tired but to me the amount of work that I have right now I could not have gotten maybe I could have gotten it like and I was getting it maybe four or five years ago mm-hmm. but not anytime earlier and it has everything to do with my tv credits that I have and the relationships that I have and it's just it's much more supportive and nurturing here and I we're very much a we will bully you until you leave system and yes. even when you are here we're gonna make you feel shitty about yourself okay Okay, it's and a, who's the we in that? Is it other it, comics or the industry the or industry, the people that run the clubs? It's a it's a mixture of all of it. Like, I have very little nice things to say about bookers. I mean, I have a different perspective being a woman, but um, I understand that it's about money. I get that. So it's been even harder to transition into a headliner, especially as a woman, because the stereotype is that women aren't funny. And unless you are famous and people already know you, when they see a female name, they're like, we'll just come next weekend. You know what I mean? So unless you have uh, a fan see. base, okay, okay. Yeah. a guy can just be a funny dude. A woman has to have a fan base. And that's where the difficulty is. And that's where the transition into being a headliner. All my girlfriends that do stand up, they've, they've blossomed into headliners when their TV credits have taken off. All my guy friends that are headliners just had to have enough people say, like, this guy's funny. And they just and that just works out for them because people go see a funny guy. They won't see just a female. They just don't trust it. So for me, that's been and I I've been told this my whole career that there's a lot of it's different here. I actually don't see that many female comics here, but in the U.S. there's a lot more, and especially in New York. I mean, even other parts there's not that many, but in New York there's a lot of funny female comics. But in the beginning, there's just as many females as males, but they drop off so quickly because it's so much harder and non-nurturing but stand-up in general is just not nurturing at all and it's saturated you know how it is it's it's there's so many people and it is such a cool job and there are so many benefits when you get even just to the middle let alone to the top that it's it's kind of brutal and so there's the mixture of the insecurities half of them why you got yeah (laughs) yeah like it would be tough enough if no one had any mental health issues. Oh my system. god! Oh my god! And then it's just a bunch of broken people being like, "Why not me?" Like it's 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 like my little brother is actually thinking about starting. He's he's twenty and he dropped out of college and he's way funnier than I am. Like he really is one of the funniest people I know. And he's thinking about getting into it. And I I told him I was like, even if you don't do this full time, I think there's a benefit to writing, and I think there's a benefit to this shitty system. And if you can power your way through this shitty system, it, it's it's like muscles. Like I might, I don't ever need to pick up a hundred pounds probably, but if I can learn to do it in case maybe someday I do, at least I know, okay, support your back. You know what I mean? Like whatever it is, you have to learn to weight lift. Those are the kind of things. So, and I even told him community wise, like he dropped out of school, college is usually, you know, university is usually where you make your friends. He doesn't have a lot of friends. I was like, eh, we're all kind of broken. I bet you're going to find some people that you don't have to try to click with it'll just work out 
Yeah. But that was one of the weird things about comedy is I'm very fortunate that I have friends in and out of comedy. But when I click with somebody in comedy, I'm like, oh, I want to I want to see your broken side. Yeah, right. I think it's very similar to my broken side. Well, this is interesting because you obviously a lot of the um, uh, a lot of the material or the subject matter that you cover in your material is about uh uh, brokenness in yeah. one way or another, emotionally exhausting. Yeah. And I, 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 I realize now as I say that it's a very important distinction. Yeah, exhausting yeah, or exhausting, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I misspoke. Um, but uh, you talk about therapy and you talk about uh, cats and becoming a cat lady and things, yeah. you know, those, those kind of topics. You talk about dating. And I was interested to see when you talk about um, running marathons. You, I'm interested in how you position yourself because I see someone who can run marathons as a winner, yeah. and yet you position yourself as like, oh, no one who does this likes themselves. Yeah, and I wonder how much of a choice that is. In I wonder how you see your your position in relation to your audience, whether you need to downplay the successes of your life. Um, I just naturally do it out of having no self esteem. Um, but no, I for me. It's about being brutally honest. And so I, I'm, I'm actually in a place in my life where I'm learning to celebrate my accomplishments because I celebrate none of them. And like even this, like this tour has been exhausting. Like I'm, I'm at a level exhausted that I have not experienced in a really long time. And it's not that I don't tour or do everything every day, but there's no home base. I've kind of made London my home base, but it's not really my home. And then I have a car in New York City. I don't have one here. I've been lost every single day. It's 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 kind of thrown me off my kilter because there's no comfort zone. I don't know how to get to the airport. I don't know what to do when I get there. I don't know anybody here. And it's it's thrown me off in a way that has kind of made me realize that I have created some stability. And so when I kind of look at my life and how I explain things to people, it's this ability to show them that I'm, I'm trying and there are things that I'm proud of, but I'm, I'm floundering daily and I don't want people, it's like Facebook. Don't you go on Facebook and you look like, is everybody having a great life? Is every baby's, every baby is beautiful. Every relationship is great. Everybody just got promoted. It's, it's always sunny in someone else's city. It just feels like that's such a, um, filtered world to set you up to feel like shit. And so for me, I I find myself wanting to connect with people and to to tell them, you know, I, I'm not going to go up to somebody that I don't know and they say, how are you? And I'd be like, eh, my dad's sick and I'm tired. And da, da, da. I know there's, there's ways to talk to people. But if I'm going to be honest with people about my life and what I'm going through, I'm, I'm not going to shine a light and say, look at me, I'm doing such great things. Because the truth is, is while there are things that are good and I am proud of, there's a lot of stuff that I struggle with and that's what everybody's dealing with. Nobody's de- everybody that has a picture of them and their girlfriend or their boyfriend smiling had a fight right before that picture. You know what I mean? But nobody wants to talk about that. Now, did they make up and take that picture? A lot of them did. But like I read a lot of psychology that says half the people that put pictures if they're putting if their profile picture is them and their girlfriend or boyfriend, they probably just they're probably very insecure about the relationship. And it's a way of telling people that I have something, you know what I mean? It's just them trying to like fix it almost face value. You know what I mean? Sure. So even something like this trip, I've found myself 
unprepared emotionally for it, if that makes sense. And I've had to have friends text me and be like, you're fine. You're fine. And not only are you fine, this is good. You did this. And you have to remind yourself. And that's where I am in my, in my world is that I, I know how to pick it apart and know every step of the way where I faltered because that's sadly where I focus on. And I think that's what a lot of people focus on. But I'm actually teaching myself just for being mentally sane to pat myself on the back. Mm-hmm. Be like, you performed in the Netherlands. Good mm-hmm. for you, Liz. Mm-hmm. But I don't think there's any... You don't connect with people by bragging. I mean, you know what I mean? I, I think you should... Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, it's not that I don't tell people cool things that I've done, but I, I like telling people about the falls because everybody... Like, here's, here's a really gross story that I just told another friend, but my little brother... So I was... I'm one of five kids, and I'm, I'm close to all my siblings, but I, my little brother was living with me. My little sister lives really close to me, and then uh, I was out to dinner with both of them and then my sister's best friend. And my brother's kind of down got really sick and then he literally I guess he like either he shit his pants or he almost shit his pants something awful happened and he was telling it to us at a restaurant but he's hilarious so we're all laughing and my gut reaction was to tell him about a time that I shit my pants and then it turned into my sister telling a time that she almost shit her pants it was the grossest (laughs) conversation at a Mexican restaurant we were done eating but that who knows who heard that and who was around us but that's kind of my MO is when I see somebody faltering, I want to join them. I don't want them to feel alone on that island of I'm a fuck up or I'm gross. So like a friend of mine who's a magician, I have a lot of magician friends, mm-hmm. weird humble brag. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's a brag. <laughs> <laughs> they're so cool though. And they're very similar to comics. And like, it's very saturated. There's like a million comedians. There's like seven magicians. Sure, sure, It's sure. so weird. But I have a lot of magician friends and he fucked up a trick like they do a lot of private gigs and for a lot of money i wish i was a magician and he fucked up a trick and he was beating the shit out of himself i was at i was at a bar drinking with him and another magician and he could not let it go could not let it go and all i kept thinking is i'm gonna tell him all the times i fucked up and that's Mm. what i did and it became this really communal beautiful friendship at this bar where we just talked about what fuck-ups we were and instead of wallowing in it it was like hey we're all human and i think there's a part of my Stand up where I, I feel really alone and I feel really broken, but I know there's a lot of connection. Even just doing this tour, I've, I've started to realize how universal my themes are and my jokes. Are those, are those themes and those jokes and that whole angle of attack, are they, is that something that your, your MO, as you describe it, was that kind of a mission statement when you began or is it something that has filtered out of the, the types of things you get laughs from? How, how deliberate is that? If you think back to your earlier gigs, were you going out there with a view to share a kind of communal experience of everyone's woes? Or, yeah. or, is, it, or is, it, is this the stuff that's dripped down as your most successful stuff over the years? Oh, it turns out that's what I do. Yeah. I mean, I started when I was 16. I don't know. I still would like to sit her down and figure out what she was thinking. Um, I, I just wanted to be funny. And if... I mean, through therapy and life and understanding, I think I just needed to not feel alone and to connect. And I think that's what I'm doing. I I think that's what we're all trying to do is just connect with people. And there's some people you're not going to connect with. I've never thought I was going to be a huge comedian. I've always kind of thought of myself as like a punk band. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, I'll find my people. And we'll, yeah. And Musical we'll... analogies are really useful for comedy. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? I just don't think, I don't think I'm going to 
connect to millions, but I do think I'm going to find a couple hundred thousand. You know what I mean? I, that sounds really cocky, but you know what I mean? I definitely think there's, I've realized more and more that what I'm going through and what my issues are and um, what's important to me is very similar. I might not handle it the same way people do, and they might not agree with the way I handle it, but I'm, I've learned to explain why. And I think my, in the beginning, it was just about expressing myself. It really was like, I just, I was in a very, um, do as you're told, take care of other people. You're, I didn't mean to feel this way or push it, but you're not important kind of environment. Mm -hmm. So to create this space where everyone's looking at me and they're listening to me, like it was just really creating a space where I could feel important. And as I continue to do this, it's about, I, I think just understanding myself and through that having other people understand themselves. And so like I'm trying to think of a good joke reference that I have, but I'm really angry. Like I don't think I realized how angry I was. Like I self-medicated with pot for most of my teenage years thinking I was a chill person, by the way, like just mm-hmm. thinking I was really like, totally <laughs> and then when I stopped smoking pot being like, I don't, I don't I can't sit still and I don't, everything bothers me. Realizing that I was so anxious and so angry and everything bothered me and I'm just really, really sensitive and I hate it with all my heart, but I also see the benefits of it, which is while everybody isn't picking up on things, I pick up on everything. Not only do I pick up on it, but I'm bothered. <laughs> you know what I mean? And the benefit of that is that I want to talk about it. So I have this new joke um, that I just wrote like a couple weeks ago about... Um, somebody being in my way and missing my train. It was literally, and yelling at him, because I'm crazy. And uh, it was no more than a 10 second moment. I have a three minute bit about it. Yeah. And that's like a great description of my life, is that everybody else is having these moments and they affect me deeply. They affect me for weeks at a time sometimes. And I don't like it and I'm working on it, but if I can figure out why it's affecting me and then push that through, it feels like I'm teaching people how to understand themselves because that's pretty much what I've been trying to do for 13 years. It's, it's funny. It, it strikes me that the, um, you, you talk about therapy in the show and, uh, and in your, in your work. Um, how long, how long have you, are you still undergoing therapy at the moment? Yeah. And I miss it so bad. Here. Really? How long, how long have you been seeing a particular this therapist, therapist? I think I've been seeing her for five years. I saw a woman for like a couple of months where it was just helpful to just get all my crazy out Okay. because my boyfriend at the time and my best friend were like, you need to see someone. And I was mm-hmm. like, if these two important people think I need to see someone, maybe I should. So in the beginning it was just getting it out. Then she just really wasn't helpful. It was just helpful to like get all my crazy out. So I didn't see somebody for like six months and then I met this woman through a friend and she's, I am incredible. Like I really do. I, I think therapy is like friendship and dating. If you don't connect with them and you can't, I mean, she laughs at me and we laugh at this. I've thought about recording our sessions. I say so yeah. much ridiculous, funny shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I've she, had that thought. And she, and she laughs. I mean, she. I'm saying some batshit crazy stuff and she laughs and that's what I need. I don't need somebody to be like, really? I need somebody to be like, you're nuts and just laugh with it and then talk about it. And hers, her whole thing is connecting the themes. Okay, well, that caused you anxiety. Do you think maybe it's because of this thing that happened two okay. years ago? And da, 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 da. And making you see like... Oh, and because she keeps strengthening that muscle, I need her less and less where all I have to do is tell somebody something and all of a sudden I'm like, oh shit. And that's what comedy is, or at least for me, it's about connecting things that 
from the surface don't look like they're connected. Does that make sense? Like sometimes my biggest joke problems, I don't solve for years at a time because I haven't had the experience or the epiphany yet. So, um, I have a newer joke about why dating is hard for comedians specifically. And it's the cockiest joke I have and it's going to keep me single. It still needs work. But the whole premise is I'm single because I'm really funny. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. this, like this shit scripted. You should see me on the fly. And sometimes I want to tell a dude that like, Hey, if we're having a bad conversation, it's you buddy. (laughs) It ain't me. And like pushing through that premise. But I had that idea for a long time, which is I'm having a hard time time connecting because I've dated a lot of comics and every time I go, Never again. Mm -hmm. Never dating a comic. And then I date a civilian. It's almost like every other. I date a civilian. I date a comic. I date a civilian. But the civilians, not that they're not funny or they're not enjoyable, but you really are, the longer you do this, you're, it's got to be how like geniuses feel, which is like, I just want to have an intellectual conversation. I don't, I don't want you to tell me that's funny. I want you to fucking hit me back in the face. I want to laugh. I, that's some of the, that part of this community even if everybody's crazy and an asshole, like me and um, my friend Maria, she's also in town touring. Um, we did a show. I did a show in Brighton and we walked in on a conversation in the green room. So it's three guys talking about a Tinder date. Some of the most fun I ever had. And we were, we chimed in right away because yeah. as a comic, you can just chime in. And as girls, we now have a girl perspective on it. It was so, here's three guys I don't know. And within a minute, we're all laughing and joking and it's a back and forth. It, that's the shit I love. And so for me to date somebody that isn't on that level is like, I'm tired. I don't want to do the work. Mm-hmm. I want you to do some mm-hmm. of the work. And it's that kind of stuff where I wasn't even able to get to the second part of that joke until some guy hit on me in a bar right before I left. And I, I wanted to, it was so annoying. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> you just helped me. Because ha- that, that premise has been there for like a year as I've struggled with dating people and going on dates. And then when he just hit on me in such the dumbest way, I was like, I needed that experience. And then I could, you know what I mean? Yes. And, it, and it connected at least three other ideas. So this is Liz. She is, she's very American in some ways, but I was, I was wondering to myself, what do I mean by that? That's kind of um, a combination of confidence and ambition, which I suppose you have to have if you're battling under the conditions that uh, that it seems are the the, the norm uh, over in the states. So uh, really fascinating to talk to her, and uh, I hope you check her out soon. The album uh, that she that we mentioned is called uh, uh, "I'm Corrected." Uh, it's called "Emotionally Exhausting," and that's available on iTunes. I recommend that. That's uh, that's very funny, and um, and absolutely a joke every thirty seconds. Bang, bang, bang. Very, very uh, interesting style. Um, very different to uh, a lot of the kind of more ruminative storytelling styles that the British circuit uh, uh, tends to engender. So uh, this is Liz, and we'll get back to her in just one moment. And uh, also, I think you'll really enjoy the the, uh, the the what the way in which she describes. There's something really kind of uh, very vivid about the way she goes. Oh no, this is how I made the video go viral. So uh, uh, lots to enjoy there. So. A little bit of uh, uh, advertising for some previews that I've got coming up. I've got a week of previews uh, beginning on Tuesday the 17th of March at Top Secret Comedy in Soho in Drury Lane. It's not in Soho, it's Covent Garden really. Uh, Top Secret Comedy Club, if you've not been there before, it really is one of the most exciting rooms in London, if not the country. It's just always rammed full of really excited, up for it 
uh, punters. So, you know, Mark Rothman is doing a terrific job there, and uh, I can't wait to do that one. So a preview coming up on the 17th. That's thetopsecretcomedyclub.co.uk, and that's in Drury Lane on the 18th. But these are all London, sorry, but there it is. Uh, on the 18th of March, I'm at the Backyard Comedy Club in Bethnal Green, which is uh, newly reopened, well, sort of within the last year, I think. I'm really looking forward to that. Wonderful room. And on the 19th of March, I'm doing a double header preview with the wonderful Joe Lysett. That's two wonderfuls in the space of 10 seconds, but with Joe, that's allowable. Um, tickets are available for the Pleasants. That's at the Pleasants, Islington. Uh, I'm on at 9.15, but come and see Joe too. I will pod him up before long, so it'll be good for you to have seen the same gig uh, that I have. So come along and see that. Um, thank you for your donations, as ever. Uh, a few more. I think we're post the January slump. People have started paying again, which is very kind of you. And um, someone said that they didn't want to pay on PayPal, and we were thought of another way that they could do it, because they weren't comfortable using PayPal for their own reasons. Um, perhaps they're an international spy. I didn't ask. Um, but we hit upon Amazon vouchers. I buy a lot of technical equipment over Amazon, so if you fancy, uh, you can buy me a gift voucher from Amazon and put info at comedianscomedian.com uh, into the uh, recipient field, um, and then I will receive that, and I can spend it on something on Amazon. I promise it'll be microphone hats and not EG Comics. Um, thank you for everyone that's paid so far. Your donations continue to support the show, and they continue to uh, to make to keep the show free and uh, unadvertised for now, uh, certainly as far as the people who can't afford to donate are concerned. So they thank you very much, as do I. Info at comedianscomedian.com, and you can go to comedianscomedian.com and click on the extremely visible and very easy to see uh, uh, PayPal button. Uh, new website coming soon. I've had a look at the, the, the beta, I believe the cool kids call it. I've had a look at the, uh, the prototype of the new website, and I think we're going to find a lot more really interesting functionality on that, and that should be fun. A quick shout-out to Diamond and Bagsy. Oi, oi, bread break, and let's get back to Liz Me. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online you'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, Mel. Bri here. Gotta work from home today because the whole family caught a nasty. Daddy! Hey, Mikey! If you're gonna puke, find the popcorn bowl! But my availability is 110%. Coincidentally, so is my fever. <laughs> Kidding. Mel, I'm so cold but hot. Uh, but I'm going to get you that budget. Just as soon as... Right. Mikey! Popcorn bowl! Press 1 to use Instacart and get your family's sick day essentials delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. Press 2 to keep working. Do not press 2. Just use Instacart. Brian. Really? <laughs> it seems to me that you would... You adopt or, or are in a, or naturally in a position of vulnerability from what you talk about on stage. It feels like you are you know, highlighting your flaws and what have you. And yet when you describe the work, it feels like you have a, you're enormously self-assured and you are, you, know, you, you are excited by the idea of 
you know, teaching people to share emotions and stuff like that. Yeah. The way that you're talking about your work now, you don't seem vulnerable at all. Yeah. So is there, what's the relationship there between you on stage and off stage? Because you have a different voice. You, your voice sounds different on oh, stage. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, So, So what is the relationship between those two things? Because I'm listening to you now and I go, this is interesting. You don't seem vulnerable at all. You seem yeah. like a very savvy, calm, <laughs> sorted person that's in, in kind of in, enjoying the idea of sharing your thoughts. Um, well, the best way I can describe this, and it's kind of dark, is... My one of my goals is to destigmatize mental illness. It's a big part of my family and it's a big part of my life. But the way people see mental illness is that people are crazy all the time. Like a New York New York City crazy is like a guy shouting at a pigeon right outside the subway. People are like, he's lost it, he's crazy. But that's yeah, he probably has mental issues, but that's far down the spectrum. That's somebody that never got help. That's somebody that has never been helped. Most mental illness is a trigger. It's not all the time. So you are who you are and then something triggers it and it takes you to this mental illness level. And then as you don't get help or as you don't take medication, whatever it is your needs, it gets progressively worse where who you are as a person is less and less. And then it's kind of this problem. But you're not crazy all the time. And when people put people like that, even as a, even somebody that's not mentally ill, just think about when you feel your angriest or your saddest. It's a trigger. Somebody hurt my feelings. Somebody um, rejected me. You know, somebody yelled at me. Whatever it is, it triggers it and it sends you into a place where you're uncomfortable because you're feeling immense amount of feelings. When it comes to mental illness, it becomes this thing you can't control. So the same thing with vulnerability. I have things that I'm more vulnerable than others. You know what I mean? I'm dyslexic. I, I can't spell. I've The hardest time... Touring has been the fact that I don't know how to pronounce things. I don't, I, on a basic, even in English, and now I'm fucking in Belgium and I really don't know how to pronounce things. So I don't like looking dumb. I don't like um, looking like I don't know what I'm doing. But because I have this dyslexic barrier, I come across as a dumb American. And as in, in the US, I just come across as dumb. And so I don't like it and it creates deep insecurity. So when I get triggered because of my dyslexia, it creates, it almost, it's a, it's like a landslide. All my vulnerabilities seem to come out. Like yesterday, I fucked something up. Ooh, I fucked something up with um, this uh, with the trains, and I ended up getting charged more money than I should. And mm-hmm. it pissed me off because I asked the guy before I took it if I needed to do something. He said no. It felt like I care, I did everything right, and I'm still getting penalized. This is what the British feel like all the time. Oh, yeah. I, oh my God. It made me nuts. And I, got, I get so angry in American. And so I came home and I just started being, I was angry about my ex. I was angry about a friend that didn't text me. I was, it just, it, 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 it just turned into this massive sea of, I hate my life and everything sucks. And I saw it happening and I'm off sugar right now, which is my crutch. And I was like, I want a Cadbury egg and I want to be sad with my Cadbury egg. And I, and I just went, go to bed, Liz, just go to bed. This is, there's nothing you can do to fix this. Okay. It doesn't matter. It's like 20 quid. Who gives a shit? Go to bed. But I have to be triggered. So in this moment, I mean, you could have said something that hurt my feelings and maybe you would have gotten a different reaction. But I, when it comes to, there's things that I'm insecure about and there's things that I'm not insecure about. And even the stuff I am insecure about, I find myself being like, oh, I suck at this. Therefore, you can't make fun of me. You know what I mean? Like I find, I find myself putting it out there before anybody has any ammo. If that okay. makes sense. And okay. then also explaining to people that it, I'm okay with it. 
And, and, and sometimes I am, and sometimes I'm not. It, it really depends on where I am emotionally. But my, I always like to say my stand-up, both the stuff I've written and who I am on stage, is kind of an exaggeration of who I am. You know what okay. I mean? I'm not nearly as crazy as I am on stage as I am off stage because off stage I have therapy and friends and tools and experiences and ideas. And this is just a three minute bit. And so it's, it's just a snapshot. And of course in a snapshot, it always seems more aggressive and intense than it does like full picture. Sure. Okay. Okay. Because you're only present. Sorry, if I got that the right way around that you are, you are more crazy on stage than you are off stage. Yeah. And I'm more, um, pointed you know what i mean like it's it's there's a there's a point to it rather than what you fluctuate so much i mean think about just i feel like who your ideas and who you are as a person and your needs change or at least for me like hourly (laughs) you know what i mean let alone in a week or a lifetime and on stage it's about presenting that moment and that moment is kind of stagnant and i'm I write the joke in the moment, but I've sometimes I've progressed because of the joke. I've learned something about myself from pushing through how I feel about this joke. Mm-hmm. And so by the time the joke is done, I might not feel that way anymore. But I have to, not I have to, but I continue to do the joke because it's like a little project. And it is a representation of how I did feel two months ago. Yes, I understand. Okay. So would you say, that are, you, are you kind of wearing a mask on stage? That persona of, of who you are on stage, that, that distillation of all of your negative bits? You know, we mentioned that the, the voice is different. Talk to me about that. Why is your voice different on stage? Um, well, I'll say this. It's like a filter. Like, I like Instagram. <laughs> so to me, my st- it's, still, it's still the same picture. It's still my face. But it's it's got like a Hudson filter. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, I have less acne in this filter. I have uh, more insecurities in this filter. I am louder in this filter. You know what I mean? It's like that. I mean, my voice on stage has actually changed a lot over the years. I started really monotone because I trip over my words. I think my brain works faster than my mouth. And you just can't stutter or stumble when you're trying to do a punchline. It messes things up. So I was really, really monotone in the beginning. Over the last five or six years, I've learned to um, speak a little more like this. Mm -hmm. But even in my set, and it took me a while to understand this, I start kind of monotone and slow. And then I build intensity and I get louder and kind of angry or more aggressive. And I realize that's kind of who I am as a person. When I meet somebody new, it's Mm -hmm. like, hi, how are you? Mm -hmm. How's it going? And then you might be like, oh, how, how was it getting here? oh, fuck, you want to know how hard it was getting yeah, here? Yeah, sure. And then, you know what I mean? And the next thing you know, and like, like, um, so one of the comics in the green room um, gave me a ride home from Brighton, and um, my friend Mario was with us, and we're talking, we're having fun, whatever. And he's like, oh, maybe we should hang out. So we got lunch with him the next day, and he just overheard, not overheard, we were all sitting together, but um, there was an issue with hotels. We're doing a tour together in Sweden and Denmark, and I just was like, full me. And so I'm just, because I rant, I'm a ranter. And so I went full rant and I just can see, and I have giant eyes, just see this comic be like, I have missed, I have been misinformed <laughs> about who this girl, because I'm a tiny, angry person, but I'm not like, there's like bullshit angry where you're just angry and everybody's going to feel it. And mine's like, I'm very logical and I'm very particular and a little bit of a know-it-all. And so for me, 
I will bully you with facts. I will mm-hmm. I will do all the research and just make you look ridiculous. So for me, I was on a tour where I wasn't put up in hotels. I was put up in Airbnbs. I was put up in hostels. In my 13 years of doing this, not only have I never had that experience, but I wasn't told, which I know yeah. I should be told. You, you better ask me if you're going to put me in an Airbnb. I'm also not even 5'1". I'm in a country where I don't speak the language. I have very little money on me. I'm staying with dudes I don't know. Fuck you. Fuck you for putting me in that place. I'm in an Airbnb with no lock on my door in a strange person's house that I wasn't told until we walked up to the place. Fuck you. And I'm not going to apologize for that. And this dude has a son. I want to be like... You have people you take care of, and this is how you take care of other people. I don't care if you're trying to skim off the top. This isn't a corner you cut. And so it's just that rant, but that was my I choice. love it! <laughs> that was a much nicer version. And, and then what happens is I rant to whoever loves me, because they have to love me, and then I sit back and I write one of the best emails. I'm known in my community for writing the best emails. Because I, especially if it's not about me, I've gotten better for writing about me, because the problem is being emotional. If I'm not emotional, I write the best business emails because my dad's a businessman. I've read every business book you can think of. And I like it to me becomes creative business. How do I get my way? Which is pretty much comedy. How do I get you to laugh? How do I get you to connect with me? So when it comes to business, how do I, how do I let this guy know that this is one of the worst things that he could have done? And I will show you. And it's like, Mention your son. Bang! Weakness, go! So that's kind of been the funny thing where I, Liz on stage, is a representation of me, but is either a a giant light shine on this is ridiculous, or uh, I'm going to take a little off the top and a little off the bottom so you're not scared. Because my friend calls it crazy eyes. I get crazy eyes. Is there is there room for that for the 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 kind of vigor that you just performed your anger at me <laughs> and uh, for the benefit of the listener, Liz just poured water yeah. all down herself, yeah, no. vibrating as she was with, yeah. the, with the threat of attack. Yeah, um, is is there room for for more of that kind of spark to get onto the stage? Because when I think about you on stage, and listeners can download your album on iTunes, I'll put a link on the website, but. Um, you you are a kind of like the, controlled. It's very controlled. I feel yeah. like I want it's just my presence. Yeah. I want to see you like that on stage. I want to see. Well, I I mean I have I'm like squeeze like let go of the control a bit because yeah. that kind of anger is fascinating. That's really invigorating. I think there's two worries. I mean, I it's been there. I mean, hecklers have seen it. Um, and there's a heckler video that was one of my first videos to do pretty well on on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, uh. When I do crowd work or when I'm bothered, I mean, it kind of comes out. I think my biggest worry is that while my friends find it funny, and that's the biggest people, when newbies start, they don't understand that there's a connection already. So, of course, something you do, there's an experience behind it, and that's why they find it funny. So, as a comic, you have to teach people who you are, and you have to do it quickly. I mean, within, within the first line on stage... You have to teach people who you are so that they get you so that they can laugh. And so I think with that kind of brutal anger and it is vulnerable. That's vulnerability to me. Like that's three months. Yeah. In, that's three months into a relationship. I'm sorry you saw that kind of shit. But um, I 
I agree. But I don't. I, it's almost. It's almost like I want a stronger fan base so they won't leave me. <laughs> <laughs> you need to take three months into your fan base before you reveal yeah, exactly, who you really are. Exactly. But, but don't Maybe you three think? Albums? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But don't you think that's? I think that's what they want, isn't it? Don't they want that? They want the intimacy of three months into a relationship. Yeah, I mean, I also. You also have to understand. I'm not just a ranter, so that would just sure. be to me. These are. I'm evolving and I, I do think I'm leaning towards that and I do think it's happening. Like I, I just did a, a, I mean, barely thought out joke about how I hate museums like two days ago. <laughs> Cause that's what people do. People are like, you're in Europe. You should go to a museum. Why the fuck do I want to go to a museum? It's just pictures of dead people. I'm going to go look at the living. Like yeah. I want to be around people. And it was completely unstructured and I definitely scared some people. And it was literally, it was at a brewery and it was all old men. I was like, I literally, I just kept saying, I was like, these people are dead already and I'm going to die someday. I was like, yeah. is it because you guys are going to die someday? Is it because you're going to be old? But I, I noticed when I do a new joke, like brand spanking new, it's, it's like, like a hundred percent Liz. And I scale it back to like 80% Liz. Yes. Basically because a hundred percent Liz hasn't thought out our ideas yet. Like, I don't know about you, but if, if you have a joke about a comeback or somebody mm-hmm. saying something shitty, I'm, I'm just as normal as other people. I usually, my first thing I say to somebody or, um, first thought is, is, is really just to fuck you or get off my back. It's not this witty thought. You know what I mean? Mm. It's, it's on a run an hour later or two months into working out a joke that I think of, Oh, I should have said that. Yes. I, this idea that I'm, always witty or always smart or always funny is a little bit of a fallacy that you put out there. So for me, the final product of a joke is the best version of that story. Yes. Yes. I suppose I'm I'm slightly pushing my own agenda here because I'm going through a, a period at the moment where I have always kind of, polished and made wittier and do you know what I mean I'll take yeah. I'll, I'll say something on stage it gets a laugh and then I take it away and I go and I spend you oh, know yeah. the whole year buffing it up yeah. and actually what I'm trying to do at the moment is realize that that might not be my funniest self and actually the yeah. rawer and looser and I mean I it's an old kind of uh, clown technique but the first thing you think of is the most honest thing and actually yeah. that's I'm kind of moving in a, in a in a different direction to that I'm trying to unpolish things Oh I'm 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 very similar I'm I'm kind of in the same place I completely agree I think for me and some of this is insecurity and some of this is fact as a female comic the reason I'm so polished is cuz I have that's exactly what I was going to ask next. Yeah, and, and not just a female comic, but you look like a little girl. Oh, I You're small and oh. you look incredibly young. You know what's so funny? I was just telling my friend, I don't wear, I'm wearing a black dress. I'm actually wearing like almost all black and I, it's my favorite dress and I actually don't wear it very often because I get, I get ordered, people order from me right as I'm about to go on stage. Like I did an audition for Letterman. Oh, they think you're a waitress. Oh yeah, I did an audition for Letterman. It was like the most nervous I've ever been. <laughs> and I'm standing in this comedy club and this guy is like, can I get a rum and coke? And I just stared at him and then they announced my name and I stand on stage and I just took a second. I was like, to the guy that ordered a rum and coke, I'm not your waitress. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I don't wear all black anymore yes. because I look like a waitress. I look like a college kid that mm-hmm. I don't look like a comedian. And when people hear that I'm a comedian, they first of all, they think I'm lying. And if they do believe me, they think I've been doing it a day. So yeah. for me, I get up on stage. I don't look anything like anybody has ever thought a comedian would be. And I have to be funny, and I have to be funny fast. And I, yeah. and I actually can't take a break. So 
I have very, I really like people describe me as like, boom, boom, boom. But I mean, your environment teaches you that. I don't have the luxury of you believing that I'm going to be fine. I believe in time I will. And I also say this, like as looking the way I do has been a disservice most of my career, which sounds silly, but it has. It's, I, I always dressed in baggier clothes. I've just started dressing like a girl in the last like four or five years because to look feminine and to look attractive in this business is kind of a disservice in the beginning. This isn't Hollywood. This is jokes. You better mm-hmm. be funny. I don't care what you look like. So in the beginning, it's been a disservice. And as I've gotten more successful and grown fan bases and done stuff outside of stand-up, my looks now have benefits. You know what I mean? I, I do look young. I am attractive. Um, I, I do have you know, stuff that kind of makes people um, comfortable. I have a comfortable face. I don't know. Yeah. I look like everybody's cousin. That's pretty yeah, much yeah. what I've learned. So those things that before were a disservice are now, I'm seeing more and more the benefits of them. But it's interesting to me that you become a construct of your environment. And I think my my standup will change when I'm more accepted, mm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Because when I, like, when I tape stuff for people that know who I am, um, are excited about me um, when I do, even when I do an hour, like I was doing an hour in Lux, I did an hour and 20 in Luxembourg. I've never done that much time. I've never done more than an hour because I get paid for an hour. But this was, you're supposed to do 35 and 35. In the oh, I've done that gig. It's a great gig. It's so fun. Yeah, it's really was, fun. You're the entire show and there's an interval. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh my God. And my whole thing is, I hope they come back. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, like, right. So, um, and I just want to put a brief ad- uh, advertisement for Luxembourg. How beautiful is Luxembourg? It's amazing. I always thought it was kind of a joke country. It's so little. It's like the butt of jokes over here. You know, it's like Belgium. I didn't know exi- I didn't know it existed. I yeah. literally was like, I was like, there's people here. I had no idea you it's existed. Great. I loved it. I mean, I was, it was, it was probably the most culture shock I've had because I, uh, the owners kept saying everybody speaks English. They are very wrong. I mean, I had a tr- hard time roaming by myself and, yes. you know, I, I, I just, I felt really bad. And of course they're apologizing and I'm apologizing. I was like, I'm in your country. You shouldn't be apologizing, but it was, it's a very transplant city. I, there was actually a New Yorker in the audience, but I, because the owners were so nice and the audience was so receptive and I had time. That's the other thing is like most of the gigs I'm doing, um, there's this, you better do well. And there's also, you better do well and you better do well fast. And to have an hour and 20 to also have that, break in between to think about how I'm going to do the attack for the next yep. 35, 40 minutes is something I really don't have very often. And I found myself having so much fun and dicking around. I came up with a joke on the spot that I've now been doing just about the difference between culture in Europe and culture in the U S mm-hmm. it's now what I've been opening with. Um, it's funny how finding your comfort zone on stage brings it out more. And I, do start out slower and I am more bang, bang, bang in the beginning of my set because I have to be. And it's almost like you watch a transition towards the end. So even if you look at my CD or my stand-up in general, I tell more stories now. Like I didn't have the luxury to tell stories a couple of years ago. And now I tell these long three-minute bits. There's jokes along the way. I mean, I'm, I'm, there's, I, I'm not letting you hang too long without a joke, but it's a three minute story where you have to concentrate on that. And then this attention span life that yeah. people are living, that's long. Yes. I'm just wondering how, how much that, um, cause I, I mean, I, I listened to the album and I thought, Oh, this is, she's a New York comic. Yeah. There's a, there's a joke. There's, 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 you know, the stories are woven out of one liners. Every yeah. sentence has got a joke at the end of it. Yeah. 
Um, and I was wondering how much that is a product of your environment, as you say, and a product of being female, the product of looking young. Um, and I wonder how much of it is kind of a self-imposed rule as well, whereby you've thought to yourself, yeah. I have to do this in order to survive. Because ultimately that's a decision that we all make, don't you? You know, we, yeah. we decide wh- what reaction we will provide to our environment. We'll just, you know. Yeah, I mean... Everything, not even just stand up. I think you you make a decision and have a perspective of what's important. You know what I mean? Like there's there's a whole community of comics that don't do stand up like that that are doing fine. So there's clearly some kind of ability. There's some way, isn't there, of doing it? Yeah. But I think I take a lot of pauses and I actually use silence to my benefit. And that's something that a lot of comics can't do and something that I do do. And you would think I wouldn't do from everything that I'm saying. So it's like I'm I'm willing to take those long pauses and breaks and use those silences. But I'm also not willing to um, not hit you hard mm. constantly because I don't – I think it's insecurity to be honest. I don't think people um, – I mean I. it sounds really sad. I don't think people would listen to me otherwise. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's, I completely know where you're coming from. Absolutely. And yeah. like – it's something that I actually thought about a couple of years ago that makes me kind of sad, and it's very similar to my dad. I'm, I'm a kind person. I like doing things for other people. I like t- taking care of people. I like being there for people. But I've realized over the years that it's sometimes to a detriment, and I do it sometimes because I think people wouldn't care about me if I didn't. Yes. And so I've learned now to say no, which is really hard because when somebody's like, oh, I need to move and I need to do this, and I have a car. So mm-hmm. I've always been, I'll help you. And then I'm like, what am I doing? I'm busy. Why am I putting myself in this place that I'm going to overextend myself and take care of somebody else's problems? They didn't even ask. I'm exhausted. I'm busy. And it's not my fault. It's not my problem that I have a car. Like, I, I shouldn't feel guilty that I have a car and I should fix this problem. But I do. I, I hear them. And I, I've now learned to be like, that really sucks. Yeah. If you need to talk about it, <laughs> let's. T- but I, I have a hard time saying no to people because I don't think people would care about me outside of what I do for people, both emotionally yes. and physically. Yes. Helping okay. them. So it's the same idea with stand up where I don't know if people would enjoy listening to me if I didn't punch them in the face. So listen, we we must wrap up shortly. I want to, I mean, you've done lots of other exciting things. You've got loads of projects on the go. I was very impressed. But, and I have to admit, I hadn't realized you've been going for 13 years. I looked at you and went, wow, where did she spring from? You know yeah. what I mean? Like, uh, um, and also part of your, um, uh, part of your kind of your comedy origin story is you had a phone call from George Carlin when you were 16. Yeah. You don't look too much older than 16 yeah. now. So I was like, how does that work? When was he yeah. alive? Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, so I, I, want, I want to talk about some of the other pr- uh, projects. I know you're doing a, a, the web series and you have a, a sitcom, Declawed. Is that in development? Is that a um, thing that you're, that's like a spec script that you're shopping yeah, around? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm pretty much almost done it and we'll see what happens okay. with it. I mean, right now I have, I have my damaged uh, script that I turned mm-hmm. into a web series. That's so, the animated Yeah, robots. so basically right. it's, they're all tw- it's 12, like two and a half minute um episodes that are all free on youtube and if you put it together it makes like the first episode but oh, it's great. but it's kind of there's there's pro i lost animators and it went visual do you animate no i don't i just so what it. what that that to me is like a wow talk about biting off more than you can chew oh, i'm gonna I make a thing I that i know takes thousands of man hours to do yeah. or person hours yeah. to uh... i i mean i 
I have a very helpful slash big problem, which is I'll figure it out. You know what I mean? Or it can't be that hard or we'll see what happens. Like that kind of thinking that it'll be fine. And then I get there and I'm like, I have, I stress out cooking mm-hmm. <laughs> makes me think that I can put a whole product together. And I'm glad I did it. And I learned so much from that, doing that animated series from everything from writing the script to breaking it into a web series, to finding people to animate it, to doing a Kickstarter to make the money through the weekly projects, to being a boss to people. Like everything about that, I learned so much, both about myself and about what I'm like. I now, I've always known I wanted to write and be like a staff writer, but now I'm like, I want to fucking produce. I love bossing people around. This is great. I think I'm a great boss. <laughs> that, that does seem like a more natural thing. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I was like this is, I love no, being the person that people are like, should we make it blue? Let's make it blue. Like, mm-hmm. I would be like on a treadmill and they would ask me a question. And I'd be answering it. And I'm like, I weirdly like that I'm working out while telling yes. people. What- Can I be learning Mandarin at the same time? Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to be some kind of ridiculous cliche, but, um, that was definitely something that was a lot. And then DeClaude is, um, is it's, it's still in the baby projects. Like that's something that I hope to use to hopefully get maybe a writing job, but also something that if anybody ever really cares about me, that it can be put into something. But that's like my sitcom. You know how like everybody. Yeah, yeah. And to me, that's not even, it's not sitcom-y. It's, it's kind of, do you, do you ever watch Freaks and Geeks? Yes, I have seen something. Yeah. It's like Freaks and Geeks where it's funny, but it's also very real and mm-hmm. dark and honest about that time period so I feel like my time period is and this is kind of slightly a lie but slightly um how it works is like that people coming back from college and not getting a job or dropping out of college and moving back home this whole moving back home with your parents is at least in the U.S. Mm. is way bigger in a in what most early 20s people are living in mm-hmm. and it's not talked about people talk about high school people talk about college people talk about That's getting fair. married but there's this realm of i'm 24 i don't have a job or i'm doing a, a shitty job even though i have a degree in this and i don't know what i just spent my last four years doing and yeah. now i'm back where i started so the claude is literally about a girl who um drops out of vet school both my parents are veterinarians um drops out of vet school um due to depression to live with her parents and work at their cat clinic. And I live next to my parents' cat clinic. I mean, I never moved back home, but my little brother has. And it's been, I, I've been homeless enough that it's been a fear that I've sure, always moved back sure. home. And that's what half these jokes are. Like, what if this did happen? So it's, to me, that's, and I, hopefully I'll still just keep looking like I'm 20. <laughs> but that's, that to me, that's my baby project. Like, again, of destigmatizing mental illness while also being honest about a time period that people like to forget or people like mm. to think most most people are going through that time period of living with their parents or graduating from school and being like, what did I just work so hard for? Because nobody's hiring in this field. What is the scope of your ambition in terms of comedy? Because I think, I always think of it, you mentioned like staff writing, maybe I'll get a staff writing job. I, I guess my, my understanding of it is that in the States, it's so much harder to make money as a job in comic because unless you're yeah. a headliner, you, you yeah. basically don't get paid anything worth, worthwhile. Um, so people, it's almost like the, like over here, the idea might be, I'm going to be a comic. I'm going to join the comedy circuit and then I will have enough money to make a living. Yeah. Whereas it seems like in the States, it's more like I will be a comedian. I will have a sitcom in my back pocket. I will be yeah. a staff. I get a staff writing job on this. I'll try and do you know what I mean? It sort of feels like a, it's, it's, I'll say this. 
you guys are doing a way better job. <laughs> yeah, you, you really are because I, up until, in some ways I'm glad it pushed me because I think what we learn in life is shitty things happen and they push you into directions that you might have not taken if things were going well. Um, I'm glad it's been so hard and it's pushed me to see that I can write scripts and that I can do these projects and I can do stuff on my own and that I have bigger ideas other than a two-minute bit. But um, I've always just wanted to be a comic. I mean, I just want to tour the world and headline places and tell jokes. If that's what I could do, I would I would just do that. But the reality of the situation is even before I've – like I've been doing it about full-time about six years – financially and physically and emotionally, this isn't maintainable. It's like where I am right now, even if I start headlining every comedy club tomorrow, it's still shit money. It's a lot of traveling. It's um, not maintainable because there's going to be another girl that's going to replace me in popularity, looks, jokes, whatever. So in America, um, you are nobody and then you have to be somebody. The middle ground is unsustainable. They stopped putting features or middlers in hotels. They don't pay for travel and they pay you shit money. So the five, the four or so years that I was middling, and probably even more when I had my part-time job, it's just not maintained. So it's not only hard, it's getting harder at the moment. It's getting harder in the moment. And so it's not... So you because, of over, because of oversupply. Over, because anyone will do Yeah, oversupply and, and lack of people going and it's just not in the heyday that it used to be. So that... that important growth period of being on stage for a half hour and paying your dues and all that stuff is dwindling to the point where people clearly can't get better, but it's uncomfortable, uncomfortable in a way that you can't stay there anymore. So you have to just be good and get out. And if you, if you spend too long in that middle place, people don't think you have anything to offer, which is slightly where I am in the U S they're starting to see that I do because of my album. I had a viral video a couple weeks ago. I've had more TV credits. I have people recommending me. It's starting to blossom again, but at the same time, it's how many times I've wanted to quit and just be a personal trainer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm just going to yeah. be a funny personal trainer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I was telling a friend, I have this, I have this dream that I'll like quit and I'll be a funny personal trainer. and I'll be stretching some girl and she'll be like, you're really funny. You should be a comic. And I'd be like, Oh, people say that all the time. <laughs> you know what I mean? never and never mention it. Never. Yeah. But, but here it's so unique where your middle, like your middle place is there's so much work and it's paid so well, and there's this not coddling, but this support that, and people just get agent. You have to be 99% there slash famous to get an agent. By the way, this every kid I've met here has an agent. It blows my mind, and no, and and they tell me, oh, an agent makes you famous. Yeah, that's what we've been saying in the U.S. <laughs> you have all this power that you're keeping in your pocket. If you just gave me. of it, I would blow the tops off of these people. But you don't because you don't want to do the work because you're fucking lazy Americans. So here I've heard that people get so comfortable in this middle part that it actually doesn't push them to do anything bigger or better because there's no need for it. So in some ways I'm grateful. And believe me, I would not want to replay half these 13 years. I've had some really horrible years in comedy. Mm -hmm. But it has made me a better comic. It has made me a better person it has uh, pushed me to see my creativity and my resources and even stuff outside of comedy that I'm good at like I am good at business and I am really organized and I I do like helping people and 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 all these other skills that I really didn't think I had on the flip side it's pushed a lot of people out that 
should have made it and should have been able to have a career because it isn't, even when you are one of the funniest people in New York City or in the country, and even when you do have the TV credits, it's grueling and it's relentless. And it feels even when you are at the top, it's like for two years and you have to, you have to keep pushing. So it is when you meet these people that are kind of at the top and they're batshit crazy, it's like, yeah, you kind of have to be. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. It's, it, you always feel like somebody's behind you being like, what else do you got? Mm-hmm. What else do you got? So God. it's weird. I can't tell you if anyone is better than the other. I think because there there's a there's a lot of really funny people here. So I don't think the coddling has kept people from being good. But I, I feel like coddling is such a bit like bitchy word to say. But I, I think it's um, it's interesting to me. If anything, I'm glad that if I do do more work here, I've had this boot camp. To, to make me appreciate it. Because right. sometimes you almost do want to sit down some of these English comics and be like, you don't know how good you have it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sit down a 30-year-old like they're 10 and be like, in my day. Yeah. <laughs> Overseas. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's, let's just finish talking about this, uh, this viral video, which is your fe- feminist sex position, yeah. which is now, what, what are we looking at in terms of hits? A couple of hundred thousand hits? Yeah, the last time I checked it was like uh, 210. I have two questions about it in particular. One is that you... Did you aim for that to be viral? Yeah. Did you think that that is the most shareable aspect? It sounds like with your kind of business brain. Oh, yeah. You so, went, yeah. go so on, I'm, talk I'm, me through it. Yeah, so I'm, I'm... This is what I decided. Because getting a manager and an agent is so hard. And I've had, like, boutique managers, like, smaller managers. But you grow out of them. Like, you grow out of, like, your first boyfriend. Like, you're like, you're fun, but I, I can do better. <laughs> so... So I've been, I haven't had a manager in like a couple of years. And like I said, getting an agent is really hard. So you're trying to, even though from being around and word of mouth, I'm getting auditions and doing TV stuff and things are happening and I'm working, um, to get to this next level, I have to do it on my own. So I book almost everything myself and, um, audit everything. I, it really is word of mouth and booking it myself. So I kind of decided, well, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Tumblr and all these things, people are watching. And this is a way to make a fan base and this is a way to connect with people. And this is a way for... And you're on all of those things. Not and- all of it. Um, some I do better than others. But my logic was then they're going to be my manager and agent. They're going to be the ones that are telling people that I have gigs. They're going to be the ones that are telling people that I'm funny. And they're going to be the ones that um, uh, get my name out there. So take this bigger community and make it my PR person, my manager, my agent. So I started reading like a shit ton of social media books because I didn't know how to work it. I went on Facebook and I just would tell people when I had shows. And that's all I did. I didn't know what else to do with it. And I realized within a year, people started going, you've been getting a lot of work lately. And I go, oh, really? I'm just working as much as I always did. Because I've always hustled. So I've always done, I've always tried to do at least five shows a week. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'm doing like 15, depending on where I am and whatever. But I always would just say, oh, I'm going to be at this bar. I'm going to be at this club. I'm headlining this place. And it was just a way. And so I started to notice that anytime somebody saw me in the real world, they'd be like, oh, it seems like you're working a lot. And I thought it was weird because I've always been working that much. And I started to see that it creates a reputation, whether it's real or not. Just like we said, everybody's baby is cute. Everybody's relationship mm-hmm. is great. So manipulating that, that perspective. The other thing I started learning from all these books is that telling people where you're working isn't very interesting. And it only has an effect on certain people. If they want to come see you or if they if they want to know, you know, um, where you are that night. Stalkers. It's like stalkers and like fans. That's all that's helping. And 
I started reading books about how you need to give you need to give more than you take. And telling somebody where you're performing is almost kind of like a take or like mm-hmm. an advertisement. Mm-hmm. So I started learning that if I was if I was Colgate and I was on Facebook, I would have a thing like if you email us or take a picture of your toothpaste, we'll give you a free thing of toothpaste or some kind of thing. Yeah. So my thing was like, okay, what do I have as collateral? Jokes. So I just started any little joke, whether it was on stage or just something I thought of or even just seeing if the joke would work. I started doing that every day. I'm kind of a crazy cat lady. I post pictures of my cat that might be more for myself than them. But just doing stuff that was more entertaining and I'm an entertainer. I'm going to give entertaining stuff out. And I started building off that. And I just started reading all these social media books and trying to build up both a fan base, which it really started working, but also um, uh, attention, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So with my album coming out, which I actually recorded it two years ago, it got ruined twice had a meltdown um and everybody was like just record it again and I was like no I this was an hour that I was done with and I was gonna put it it was gonna be my first album it didn't work out I don't know if this is a sign I'm not really religious but I don't like it anymore I don't want to do it again and I told myself I wasn't gonna record another one until I wrote another hour so I spent about a year and eight months wrote another hour and that's what emotionally exhausting is and so when that came out by that time and I'm kind of glad in a lot of ways I was like, all right, I have an arsenal of knowledge about what to do with this album. I tried hiring a PR person. I had a little bit of money, but they were all either they didn't have the time or they were like $3,000 a month. And I was like, sure. that's retarded. So I was like, you, I took a class for $15 on how to do PR yourself from a friend who used to do PR. I was late and I left early. Um, but she helped me. I emailed her some questions. She was very sweet. And from there, I took my knowledge from all these books and from that and I would go, Okay, what's the thing I can do? I have a, a little bit of following on YouTube. I have a little, a little bit of following on Facebook. Kind of a following on Twitter, although I don't, I'm starting to understand it more, but I kind of hate Twitter. So I started taking jokes that had relevance. So I've done a lot of um, corporate and got attention for all my writing and fitness material. Like I did a corporate gig for Runner's World. I was just profiled in Runner's okay. World. So I have a runner community. So the first one I released was my marathon joke. And I asked Runner's World, can you pay attention? I wrote to all the fitness blogs and just like, hey, I have this thing. And I just say what I always say to people. This is what I'm doing. If it helps you or if you're interested, please share. Da, 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 da. And I wrote these little business emails. Got some attention. I actually am now doing a tour with, um, there's this book called Born to Run. Okay. Um, it was a bestseller a couple of years ago, but it kind of actually changed the game of running. It's a beautiful book, even if you don't run. He saw my marathon video. Um, I We connected. I sent him my album. We kind of became friends, and now I'm touring with him when I get back in April. Um, and even connect, I did parkour yesterday with somebody. Yeah, saw the video. Yeah. yeah okay. So that's a well, in his new book that he came out with. She's one of the people he interviewed, and he connected us, and she gave me a private parkour class. And we, I mean, she's awesome. And so it's just kind of that weird... It's so weird how the internet is all connecting us. So marathons was the first one that started getting some views or whatever. My there's this comic named Hurry Kundabolu. Do you know him? Yes, I've met Hurry. Yes. Yeah, he's one of my best friends. He's amazing and he's doing amazing stuff. But he was always so funny. Every time he asked me to feature for him or open for him, he'd be like, "Do your feminist sex position joke. That's the best joke." Um, and he's really political and and a feminist and all that stuff. And so I told him, I was like, that's one of the videos I'm going to do. He goes, okay, if you, if you post that, let me know and I'll share it. So he shared it. It got me up to like 6,000 views within like a day. That's because I can, I get myself about 1500. Okay. That's what I, that's my reach is 1500. 
uh, gets me like 6,000 views. And he goes, you should probably write to some of these feminist blogs. So just like I was writing to all these these things, he gave me direct context. Most of these, I'm just doing research. Yeah. Info at fitnessmagazine.com bullshit. Um, which you can get some stuff to, but direct emails are great. I email all these women. Um, they're like, we love it. We'll see what we can do. Da, 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 da. Nobody does anything. And so then I just started doing my own research of feminist blogs. And I've read a whole book about how to hack the internet, which is harder, but it was helpful to read. And so I went into all these feminist blogs and I was filling out forums to be a writer, like, and, and doing it all wrong. They're like, so when did you want to be a writer? I don't want to be a writer. I just have this, I'm a comedian. I just have this video. What did you want to write about? I don't want to write about anything. I just yeah, have this yeah, video. Yeah, okay. Literally filling it out wrong. And the first one to uh, share it was one of those blogs. They were um, everyday feminism. And I didn't even know about it. Like a girl from high school posted it. By the time I looked at it, it was already at a thousand likes and like 800, like 80, um, uh, retweets and all shares mm-hmm. or whatever. And then from there, it just exactly like I read a book about how things go viral. It, I was like my own manager looking at it. Like, I was like so <laughs> proud of like manager Liz because from there Cosmo shared it. And then Cosmo actually asked me to write more positions and they're going to illustrate them this month. And then, um, from Cosmo it was Huffington post from Huffington post was this Mick.com that did an interview from that was, and it just, it's going, going on like viral video sites and whatever. And just reading the comments and seeing people how... I mean, I got a lot of hate mail. You always get hate mail. But I got a lot of people connecting with it and being like, this is really great stuff. And you want to connect with... I'm not... If you don't like women, you're not going to like me. I'm not going to change you. There's nothing I can say that's going to make you like women. So I don't give a shit about you. So sometimes people are like, oh, you only want to talk to the people that already like you. I mean, I would like to change some minds, but I'm not going to change a mind that's already set. I might be able to talk to somebody that's on the edge, but I'm, I'm not producing miracles. So I connected with a lot of feminine, feminists, both male and female. And that has been the coolest part is doing podcasts for, with feminists, having feminists connect me to other people, getting more work off it, getting auditions. Like all of a sudden, um, again, still don't have a manager, still don't have an agent. Um, last Comic Standing audition, uh, Girl Code audition. You know what I mean? All this stuff came in within a week without having those stuff because when people are paying attention to you and it's to me it's been a great lesson because I've always kind of been off the path both mentally and what I do with my life and how I approach things and the problem with that is and I'm very stubborn and I think I'm always right you get down that path and nothing's happening and you look back and you go maybe I was wrong (laughs) you know what I mean and it feels good a couple I've been probably pushing the social media for like three years now it took about three years for anything to like little baby things happened along the way but it feels kind of good to be like I'm glad I kept researching and I'm glad I kept experimenting and I'm glad I kept trying and uh, believe me I'm nowhere nobody knows who the fuck I am but I know I it's a it's a nice big uh, stamp saying you're on the right path yes and And what you've just described there is an object lesson in how to manipulate the internet, how to yeah. use it, or not manipulate it, it sounds creepy, but how to how to use it right. Because I think yeah. people will look at that, I'm sure some comics somewhere in the world will look at your, <clears throat> however many hundred thousand views it is, and go, well, good, just, you, you just put anything on the internet and you've just got to wait yeah. for all people to like it. You go, no, actually, there's an enormous amount of work and strategizing that goes behind it. Absolutely. So, listen, my second question, we must, we must wrap Sorry. it up now. No, not, not at all, not at all, it's fascinating. Um, but my second question was, 
Why do you answer back the comments underneath the video? Uh, Why would you do that? Why so, would you feed the trolls? So, so I'm usually pretty good. I actually watched a whole, um, like a 30 minute uh, YouTube thing from uh, the guy that wrote uh, Four Hour Work Week. He wrote Four Hour oh, Work Week and Four Hour Body. He's great. He's. I mean, I I don't agree with all his stuff, but it was a, a, about who to answer back to. Because again, I'm I'm almost coming from this like. I don't know, like, almost like you have to, like, when somebody has autism and you're like, you're supposed to look people in the eyes and they're like, oh, I didn't know. Like, I'm almost like that with, like, socializing sometimes in social media. So it's like, I don't know, they hurt my feelings. Should I say that or should I delete it? So he he actually gave me pretty much a, a full basis of how I deal with stuff. If you say something nice, I always respond to you. If you say something that needs an answer, I always respond to you. If you say something shitty... I'm not going to delete it unless it's like super, like if you're saying something about my body or you're saying saying something super racist and sexist, then I might delete it. But for the most part, I actually keep those up because people need to know this is what I deal with on a daily basis. Uh People say really fucked up things to me. And also not everybody likes me. So have you ever gone on like a Yelp review of a restaurant or something? And it's all like, this is the best restaurant I've ever been to and everything tastes great. You start to be like, does it? Is it all great? I want somebody to say the service is shitty. Like, I actually want yeah. some bad reviews in there yeah. so I'm getting something authentic. I want people to know that there's a lot of people that don't like what I do, and it's part of the process. That being said, I am human. I do I do get hit sometimes, and sometimes I respond, and I immediately regret it, and I know it's not the way to do it. But on a bad day, you can all go fuck yourselves. You know what I mean? Or I do try to go really – but I, I do believe what I said. You can't – change people that don't want to be changed both friends family life whatever so when you have somebody that's saying you're gross or you're dumb or all women should kill themselves you just have to go you know what i mean and move on but i have bad days and some i i've deleted the bad ones i've kept up most of them i've probably only responded to a handful of them and i regret it every time you're right i really do know it's dumb that was a great answer, and it's going to be very hard for me not to end this episode of the podcast with the sentence, on a bad day, you can all go fuck yourselves. <laughs> so that was Liz. Thank you to her. Um, thanks very much, Liz, for coming on. That was a really invigorating conversation with a lot of points of difference between UK and US comedy, and some really, I think it's fascinating the way that she, who knows, who knows how much of our true selves we get to revealing conversation but I do think that what appears to me the sort of the confidence the ambition the dynamism that she has also there's some interesting dynamic with with uh, her view of her own anxiety and her own mental health issues um I'm absolutely fascinated I look forward to seeing what happens to Liz over the next few years and maybe we'll have her back on the show another time soon so thanks for listening do rate the show on iTunes if you get the chance. Go and give us a five-star review. Uh, share it with your friends if you don't want to donate. Or do both. That's entirely fine. Just pop a little link on someone's Facebook page and say, hey, check this out. You can get the SoundCloud links. Uh, they're very easily embeddable from comedianscomedian.com. Thank you for donating. Feel free to keep doing that if you like. And coming up soon, Ellis James, Nick Mohammed, and I've just booked in John Gordillo for some time in a couple of months from now. And that one is, I mean, they're all going to be great, but John is, he's one of those motherload people. I think uh, I, I have very high hopes of that episode. He really knows what he's talking about. Loads more people coming up soon and an exciting announcement also. I've sort of been trailing that for about six months, but I don't want to say it until it's definite. So that's all for now. I'll speak to you next week. 